Good morning, Georgetown Christian. My name is Chris Tanner. I'm the teaching pastor here, and I'm so excited to be with you guys. I want to thank our men's ministry for reading our scripture this morning. I look forward to having our women's ministry share in the same soon. And I think we had a great bunch of students up here. Don't you guys think the students should also read scriptures? Uh-huh, yeah, okay, so I need your encouragement then when it's time for them to read scriptures to remind them, hey, the filming is tonight, I need you to be there, okay, so I need your help on that. All right, so uh, I want to welcome you. If you're a guest, then uh, don't be surprised if someone says, hey, my name is Jim, where are you from? You live around here, they're not stalking you. Uh, unless they follow you home, then they're stalking you, and you should call 911. And... <laughs> Get a picture of them and let me know. I need to know who's talking, right? But uh, if you're joining us online, we want to welcome you guys from uh, the internet or the future. Maybe you're listening on podcasts later. We know that uh, our guests uh, always check us out online before they visit us in person. So welcome to all of our guests and all you old Georgetown folk I've known forever and ever. I am so glad to be here with you guys today. Robin is on the mend. He's, um, I think he's plus one rod in the foot. And uh, he's been texting me this morning, you know, you shouldn't say that. I can't believe you talked about that and so on and so forth, of course. Not really. Uh, he did text me this morning, though, so he's, he's doing well. The pain is managed, he said. So thanks be to God. Um, today we look at Paul's commands to a multitude of churches in the city of Ephesus. It's easy for us to think of Ephesians as to a church because we're a church, right? But uh, uh, Stephen, I'll two thumbs up on those lights. Way to go. It's rocking. And then I need one volunteer real quick. Just raise your hand. You don't know what you're volunteering for. It's okay. It'll be fine. You guys know this trick. Okay. Anyway, I may just preach just a little bit longer than Rod is comfortable with. And Rod, hey, Rod, he's in the back waving his hand to you. He's clicking the slides, okay? So um, it's okay to mess it up. Today is your free pass. If you want to sit next to Rod and click the button on the slides, totally okay if you mess it all up today. But if you want to just make your way back there next to Rod, Rod has to catch a flight today, and I may go a little long. Um, no plan to, but Rod might want some help. If you want to learn how to click the button, Rod will show you. All right, so today we look at the book of Ephesians. I want you to be in chapter 5. That's where our, our men read from. You may also want to have a finger there in John chapter 1. Paul dearly loved his churches in Ephesus. He's got a letter to Timothy where he sent him much later, and he, you can see the love he had for those churches at the time that he's writing that to Timothy. And Paul is now writing a, a letter to the Ephesian churches in a, in a book that we have named Ephesians, right? Because it says, to the Ephesians, in almost all of the manuscripts except two of the oldest, right? And so we're pretty confident it's from Paul, and it's to all the churches in Ephesus. But you don't see how this all happened until you're back in Acts 19. We're not going to read all of Acts 19, although if you're in a life group, you're going to read a lot of Acts 19, right? So you may want to flip to Acts 19 as I summarize and just make sure I'm not making this stuff up, right? Paul lands in Ephesus in uh, Acts 19. We have a record of him arriving in Ephesus and finding out that there are believers that are already there. And these believers have only been baptized with the baptism of John, a baptism of only repentance. So we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of their sins, right? They're repenting and the gift of new life and receiving the gift of what else do we get, church? What do we get when we are Christians? We are baptized. We get the gift of the, say it with me, the Holy Spirit, right? And then he's alive inside and working in us. He's God in and with us. They didn't have that. So he says, you guys, i got to get you guys hooked up, okay? So I'm going to lay my hands on you. I'm going to pray for you. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. 
and then they spoke in tongues. And it is interesting to note that God establishes at least a church in Jerusalem and a church in Ephesus by the gift of tongues. I don't know that we can draw any big theological conclusions from that, but he did it in those two places, and we have a witness of it in Scripture. So the power of God was manifest through tongues, through healing. You can see there in Acts 19, there's a dramatic amount of healing that happens there. Even the claws that Paul touches, like heal people when it touches them. So the church grows powerfully, so much so that like the sorcerers and the magicians of the era— They give up their scrolls that are said to be worth 50,000 days of labor. They just bring them all and burn them in a pile, a pile that actually was discovered, like archaeologically they discovered. Okay, so they just, they get rid of it all. They give their lives completely to Jesus. And this is in a town where you have the Temple of Artemis. Let's not forget the Temple of Artemis. It's right on like this this, let's say, point that comes out of land into the, at the time there was a bay, right? It comes out into the bay, and it's like 60-foot tall columns, almost 150 of them. So if you think of um, the Parthenon, that's big, right? If you've been to Nashville, you've seen like a full life-size replica, right? It's life-size, right? It's huge. If you haven't seen it, it's really large, okay? But this was four times larger, and that's the temple to Artemis, Right, so these are the types of people who then witness the power of God at work in Acts chapter 19. So what I want to do is I want to ask the question, how does this relate? Because in Acts 19, we see Paul going in and he meets the guys that have had the baptism of John. They've been, become repentant. Then they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, gift of tongues, establish church or probably churches, begins teaching in the hall of Tyrannus, right? And so Paul is... It is, it is not possible for him to, to be unrelated to people. That's, this is not possible because we have the record right there in Scripture of him teaching people how to follow and give their lives to Jesus. So there's some level of relationship. But we have this command here, and I want to jump. This is where I feel a little bit of tension that I think is worth our time to resolve because we have to try to live lives of Christ-likeness, just like he's calling the Ephesian churches to live. So let's read Ephesians. Let's just do five, uh, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Uh, let's read that out loud together. Would you guys read that with me? Uh, we don't have seven. Thank you, Rod, for the note. We don't have seven. I'll do seven. You guys can join me on eight. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord live as children of light. So when you guys think of this word partner, and this is where I think we have at least a little bit of tension to explore, we have Paul saying to not be a partner with darkness, and then we have Acts 19 where Paul is clearly in some level of a relationship with people who are probably going to the temple of Artemis on a regular basis. They're probably buying the statues that Demetrius and all of his craftsmen made at the time because, I mean, quite frankly, that Demetrius was, he was pretty good at statues, right? Or idols, I think is what we should call them. Uh, he was the man at those things. He was renowned and so much so that his name made scripture, right? And he organized this riot, okay? So they're very normal people just like you and me, but Paul was in some level of a relationship with them. And then right here in chapter five, verse seven, we have, therefore, do not be partners with, with them. And if you read back for a little bit of context, he's talking about people who pursue a life of sin. But somehow, they got to get the good news as well, right? 
So one way I think of a partner is someone who is more than an acquaintance. They're more than just a wave like across the driveway or the parking lot or, hey, I saw you at the store, what's going on? Like that, that's an acquaintance, right? I think a partner is like committed to a relationship of some level for generally like some kind of a reason. Uh, the first couple I think of, like a workout partner, you know, you've got leg day guy, he's like Mr. Like monster legs, like he's always like, I want like 10 more reps, come on lazy, and then you got like chest day guy, and he's like, let's pump a bunch of iron with our chest, right? And so these guys, they push each other to get much stronger. I know so much workout language, can you guys tell? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm trying to learn from no, he's Mr. Workout now. So so that that's one partner I think of, and I can see Noah's partner push him, and and then he pushes back, and then, and then we've, we've got another kind of partnership that I'm a little more familiar with, and that's like a business partnership where you might have one person who's like, you know, I think that this contract is more than enough, and we really shouldn't push it, and you have another person that's like, I think that your contract is not a contract. It's a five-year-old color, and you put your crayons away, and you need to ask for more, right? And so those kind of partnerships tend to be symbiotic. They tend to balance each other out and they tend to work like towards a purpose or a goal together, right? So in a partnership, you're probably like working towards a goal. And then when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, what are you doing? You're working towards a goal, right? You're working towards the light of Christ shining in their heart into a dark place, right? So that's what I kind of want to examine, right? Like are we talking about, uh, are we talking about uh, Procter and Gamble? Is that partnership? I mean, without that partnership, we wouldn't have a lot of the things we have now, right? Or without, like, Johnny and June Carter Cash? We'd be in trouble without that partnership, wouldn't we? We need some of that music, right? Or, Or what about SpongeBob SquarePants and Patrick Starr? What if we didn't have that partnership? Or, like, a partnership that was very near and dear to my heart as a child, Mario and Luigi. If we didn't have that partnership, what kind of world would this be, right? So we, we have to look and ask ourselves, what is a partnership and what is just an acquaintance? And what does it look like to be a partner? Because we don't want to be a partner with darkness, but of course we want to be reflecting the light of Christ. We're called to do that. So I want to just share with you guys um, a partnership that to me was uh, more personal. It was foundational. It was Uh, It was very meaningful in my early life. This was third grade, first day of school, where sat down and the, I don't know who came up with this idea, but thank God for them. It was called pods, and all I knew is it meant for the first time since kindergarten, these guys, Stephen and Matthew and Tony and Josh and Greg, were all sitting like I can touch them close. Like, there was no row. It was just a pod. Our desks were pushed together. We could kick each other, hit each other, look at each other in the face. We could, thro- we could flick the football. Like, right, the desks were touching. It was like a dream scenario. I cannot tell you who came up with this idea, but they're awesome uh, from a student's perspective. So online, you guys can type in the chat how long you think my partnership in this classroom in third grade lasted, and you guys can tell me in the foyer after uh, church is over maybe how long you think our partnership there got to last, but our, um, our purpose was just to get away with as much 
uh, folded paper football and kicking and hitting and talking as we could while there was a teacher trying to talk and interrupt all of our fun, right? So that was one of my very first partnerships. But as believers here in the church, when we're gathered and, and even when we're scattered, we are, we are dramatically more than partners. And, and I, I hate to compare this to people, but if you think about famous partners like the Hardy Boys or maybe you think about about Mario and Luigi. They did great things together, right? I mean, maybe you think about Venus and Serena Williams. They endured hardship together, and I think there's a movie coming out, right? And we're going to learn about some of the hardship they went through, but together they pursued excellence in something that they had to sacrifice a lot for, and they leaned on each other, right? I think in the church, we have to realize that everyday people are going to come in, hopefully, right? Welcome guests, and that at the same time, we're supposed to welcome them somehow, not necessarily be partners yet with the practices of the darkness, right? But we also need to be close enough to get to know them like Paul did evidently so many of these people in Ephesus when he was founding a church. It's, it, Paul calls it a mystery. Jesus calls it the good news. John, and this is not on the screen, so if you want to look in your Bibles, John chapter 1. John says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, perhaps you have lived even this last week or month in some darkness of your own, but I want to talk about people who are presently living in the darkness, right? Not a, a touch of darkness or a splatter of darkness or a difficult time. I mean, people who don't know the light or the love of Christ. Some of those people visit the church because they're trying to weigh out, and they're trying to figure out, and and I just, I think, uh, well, I've forgotten his name now, but you can tell me. Who was the guy who, uh, Pontius Pilate, right? Jesus was before me, he says, what is truth, right? Our culture is asking that question right now. And Robin just expressed this a week ago when he starts talking about marriage. And marriage is like a new thing for some people in our, people in our culture. Because, as Aaron talked about two or three weeks ago, our culture has not only accepted darkness, it's actually now holding up darkness and saying, like, this is the truth. So you have people out here who know how, like, basic biology works, like a man marries a woman, and that is God's standard for humanity. And now we have a culture that's raising up and saying, like, really, whatever you want to do is cool, and it's the truth, and it's a standard, and it's okay. And then you have cultures saying, like, hey, really, murder is a choice. It's okay for you to do this. And so we have the world coming in and saying, these things don't necessarily line up, even with like basic facts of reality. And then there's this place over here that says they have the truth, right? We're Christians and we claim to know the truth. His name is Jesus, right? It is an absolute, it is unequivocal, and there's really no negotiation. It's just the truth. That's why we're called offensive now, right? Because we claim to have like the actual truth. Because we believe Jesus is that. So those people, they're just like Ephesians, okay? There's a temple of Artemis for them, just like there was for all the people in Ephesus. Only theirs isn't necessarily 60-foot-tall columns, which, mind you, is like way taller than our church bell tower out here. 150 columns all the way around, and people go into it and buying the little statues. I think for our culture, it's actually like a screen, and then it's also kind of what you drive and kind of what you wear and kind of where you go on the weekends so that you can post it all to where? Social doom scrolling media, right? I mean, I'm a member of it. I believe the light's got to shine there the same as everywhere else, right? So there's no judgment for you if you're on social media. In fact, get in there and shine the light, right? 
But I believe that our culture is coming into here, and this is why I think Paul says, or Paul, Paul's actions show that he is more than an acquaintance, but also he says, do not be a partner with. So do this thing that's hard and messy. Do, go ahead and do it, but don't be a partner, right? So this is why I think Paul says it, because that confused culture, community, they're people just like you and me. They're not a they. They're a Jim and a Sally. They're real. They're going to come into here and they're going to say, like, I can read, a, any one of them can go read a Bible, right? We live in a literate society. They can pull it up on their phone. They can go to YouTube on their television. They can open up, there's probably a Gideon ready to hand them a Bible at any given hotel, right? Everywhere you go, the word of God is present and accessible in America. But they're coming here because they want to see if our lives match up with this or if we're being partners with darkness, right? So our lives will tell them whether what we read, we believe. Our lives will tell them that. That's what they're coming here to see. That's why I believe Paul is saying to the, church in F- the churches in Ephesus, this is a critical matter, you all. He spends the first three chapters, and Paul didn't have chapters, but he spends the first three chapters saying the gospel is powerful, He has conquered death. He has conquered sin. He has conquered Satan. He has risen from the grave, which he conquered, right, so that there would be an establishment of a brand new kingdom where the good news is we get to not only be partners with one another, we get to be adopted as sons and daughters. So our king is actually our father. We are part of a brand new kingdom that is coming now. Even now, this kingdom is coming And the good news is that we are all part of that. That good news has to be shared. That good news has to come out some way in our calendar, in our checkbook, in some expression of everyday activity. We have to leave this place as much as we might all want to stay here and enjoy an amazing praise team and great seating, right? And we've got the heat figured out today. Thanks be to God. Jeff, your team is doing a great job. Um, But we have to leave here and we have to go out there to somehow reflect that light to our community, Because just like the Ephesians, the Floyd Countyans and the Hoosiers and the Go Cats, Big Blue over their nation, they're all looking for truth. And they're looking at our lives to see does it match up or are we partnering with people who practice habits of darkness? Okay, so I'm just reading a few more from John chapter 3, and then we'll be back into Ephesus. John chapter 3, 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Does this sound familiar? It sounds familiar because as a Christian, we should not only love the light, we should then be reflecting this light to our community. So my question today is, how are you doing, church? How are you doing at reflecting light? Are you kind of putting a little bit of a smudge of some darkness over here where you practice a habit that is perpetually sinful and you just kind of guard it and hide it and keep it and think God's can, God can forgive this. It's okay. Everything will be fine here. Or are you allowing Like Paul showed these Ephesian believers, there is a Holy Spirit that is to come into your life, and he is to, if we we go back to, we're going to go there. We're going to go to Romans 12 later, okay? If you want to get your finger there, we're going to go to Romans 12. We're going to have a grammar minute. Now, stay in your seats. I know so many of you guys just want to get up and cheer when I say, we're going to have a grammar minute. You're just so excited you can barely stand it. But we're going to have a grammar minute. Even our English teacher, he's just like, oh, this is going to be awesome, right? Matthew just can't wait right now. Okay, so... uh, and let me, let me finish John 3 before we go to Romans 12. John 3, 20. 
Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So, for instance, when you're in third grade sitting in a pod instead of a normal classroom where the desks are separated because someone was psycho. I mean, I love them, but someone's just put all these desks together and you've got Matthew and Tony and you've got Josh and Greg and you've got all of your friends at the pod and you're flicking the football. The light shines in the darkness when the teacher comes over and teaches right next to your pod, right? You're all like, we don't have any footballs here and I wasn't talking or hitting or trying to make glue boogers under the desk, right? Like, we were totally listening to the lesson and also trying to put a pencil through my finger, right? But not hurt myself, right? We were absolutely listening. But then when the light shines in the darkness, the teacher says, Chris, what do you think? And you're like, I think. Yes, I do. It, and you're, you, the light has shone in on the darkness now, right? And so maybe uh, for some of you, a more recent example and of course, this is very impersonal. Nobody that you know, I'm confident. But imagine somebody, whoever, you may rib them or text them. I don't know if you may know somebody like this. But imagine a theoretical person who is in a big hurry because they're late for an appointment or maybe there's a late fee or they have a date with a spouse that has a 30-minute lunch break. I don't know what it is necessarily, but totally theoretical person. Surely you don't really know anybody like this and you would never do this yourself but they're like racing to get to this appointment and maybe they're even on like I-265 just praying, God, please let the left lane lounge lizard move over to the nap lane and let me get going. And sometimes you have to help them realize you're there so you just like get right up directly inside of their bumper, you know? And so the light shines in the darkness when all of a sudden like that white truck that you're tailgating is, it's a cop and there's like lights on all of a sudden. Now everyone around you who before was like, yeah, get on his tail, get him to move. This guy's a bum, right? Like now everybody's like, oh no, I really like three car links. You should definitely move back some. I don't know what you were thinking, right? Everybody else is all holy because the light has shone in the darkness, right? And they're blue shiny spinny lights and you're just hoping, please God, don't pull me over from in front of me, however that works out. Uh, don't ask me, but I do know how that works. Um, anyway, there are other people that have had problems like that that you should definitely text about uh, their experience as well. But that is more relatable to us, is it not? When we have an experience where the light shines into the darkness and then suddenly the truth is visible. Suddenly we all know what the truth is. John writes in 321, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done is has been done in the sight of God. So before the lights popped in, only, only darkness, right? And everyone's okay with it. But then once the light shines in, everybody really does know what the truth is, don't they? Once the light shines in, we really all know the truth. But there's something about even that relationship right there on the road that I think is instructive for us this morning in our own understanding. In what John is saying there, there is an assumed and understood relationship between people who claim that Jesus is Lord, who take communion together and remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed, that we might have brand new lives, that he might create in us a completely new heart. And that assumption, that underlying, like unstated, at least in the three verses I'm reading right now, is that there is a relationship. We're not just called out ones. We're called out to something, and we're called out together. We're a plurality that is also a singularity. We're a group who is a thing. We're the church. 
but when you're not with the church, are you still the church? I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to ask you. And you're going to carry the question with you the rest of the week. You're going to ask yourself, when I'm not with the church, am I still the church? If I don't gather with the church, and maybe you hear this online or maybe you hear it later in life in a podcast, I don't know how you hear it, but you need to hear it and ask yourself the question, when I'm not gathered with the church, am I still the church? And you are more than welcome to interface with me on that question because I believe it's critical that you're actually with the church because I'll ask you the question, how do you serve who you're not with? How do you do that? How do you sacrifice for someone you're not with? How do you give to someone you're not with? How do you bear the burdens of someone you're not with? How do you do that? You need to answer the question. John, uh, 1 John chapter 1 Verse 6 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. You need to answer the question. You don't need to answer it to me. You need to answer it to the, the God that you claim as Lord. You need to answer the question. So Paul calls the Ephesian church to come out of the ways of darkness to step away from the habits that would be considered darkness, just as he called the magicians and the sorcerers, and they brought the scrolls and they burn them, and archaeologically we have found the place and the scrolls, right? This is confirmed. That happened. And then a mighty wave of God's power has come through the city of Ephesus, and for some reason, we're only years later that Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesian churches, and what's he saying? Now, I mean, after all of that they just saw, like Paul's wash rag, like heals people. Absolute power of God at work. Now he's writing, do not partner with him. Why does he have to go write that? Because it's imperative, it's critical, that in the church we are always refining ourselves. It's critical that when people come in here, we are being refined so that they see that our actions line up with what they're reading and they can now discover the truth the same Jesus that we claim as Lord. So I want to invite you guys to read this with me. This is our last point. Ephesians 5, and I'll read 7, and then I need you guys to read 8, 9, and 10 along with me. Therefore, I want you to read it aloud. So therefore, do not be partners with them. Okay, you can join me. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Now, I'm so glad I warned you guys not to get excited, but it's time for our Grammar Minute, okay? Now, how many of you, uh, when you're confused, and I'll get right back to Grammar Minute, don't worry. How many of you, when you run into something you don't understand, you'll go into like the uh, search bar in Safari or Chrome or whatever, you'll pull up your browser and you'll type how to, and then you'll just type it, right? So I would be so curious this week, like what your search bar said, and here's a quick glimpse into my search bar, how to frozen family DIY costume, right? And then how to uh, chili, crock pot, oven, microwave, toaster oven, instant pot, I don't care, just make me chili, right? Because it's getting cold and I want the chili now. And then how to, um, <clears throat> how to remove dog matter from carpet, right? And how to uh, PTO switch broken, and thanks be to God, it just works now. And then, uh, of course, how to remove stain from chili and carpet now, right? So 
do you guys do the same thing? You don't have to show me hands, but do you guys do the same thing when like you don't really know how to get past this issue and it's, it was just an issue and now it's a big problem or it's a challenge and it's big because you don't specifically know how to, right? We don't know how, and sometimes the how to is the hardest part. So we're really fortunate in that Paul, in the first three chapters, almost four, of uh, his letter to the Ephesian churches, he's using all kinds of language and grammar that is going to be very like, look at what God has done through Jesus in our hearts and lives. Hello. And <clears throat> we, we may also then, we, we may also then notice in chapter four that Paul's grammar switch, and this is our grammar moment, okay? So Paul's language switches, and I guess like brilliant people would call this style, There's, I don't know, an English teacher can tell you. I just know that he switches from this language about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit at work in our lives over to commands, imperatives. But Paul is so generous in that he gives us also a little direction. So it's an imperative that's with a present participle. Okay, there's your grammar moment. I don't even know what those things mean, but I'll tell you, we're going to illustrate it now because those to me are confusing words. So what I really like is that in the NIV, we have find out what, and this is in verse 10, Find out what pleases the Lord. Okay, that's like the participle part. And the ESV would say, trying to discern. So if you like smush it all together and you take out the parenthetical insertion there, you have, therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, finding out what pleases the Lord. Or live as children of the light by discerning what pleases the Lord. So there's a little grammar moment, and I like for me, it's easier to understand by just going over to Romans 12. Because Paul uses the same format in his letter to the Romans, he uses it in the same format. He uses it with his letter to the Colossians, to the Philippians. Paul uses this format frequently. It's called, I'm going to tell you what to do, and I'm going to tell you how to do it, kind of mostly, right? He doesn't say, like, I want to have a steak dinner tonight. I want you to go to the grocery store, drive the car, use the list, make sure to get the coupons, also pay with cash, and then drive the car home and unload the groceries. He doesn't give you that level of specificity. Instead, Paul gives us something like, let's read Romans 12 too, he gives us something like he did in Ephesians. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, there's going to be audience interaction, pay attention, but be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind, right? So command, then this is same, Paul's same style here. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will right? So he gives us command and how-to. So um, probably the most recent experience I have, or at least the most memorable, maybe not the most recent, but finding out by experience is basically what Paul's telling us. He's basically saying, I need you to go do this thing, and I need you to figure out how it works. I need you to go uh, not partner, but live, not partner with darkness, but live in the light of Christ by trying to do the things that please the Lord. He's not saying, here's all the things that please the Lord. Although in the next couple weeks, we'll get to a couple of those things. But he is saying, you have to keep trying. So the example for me, very memorable, is, uh, and so I bet so many of you already know, this is, this is such a simple solution, Chris. You should just read Gary Chapman's Love Languages, right? But when I first married Andrea, I didn't know especially well how to communicate my undying love for my new bride, right? And so I had to try by discerning. I had to try by slamming my head against a brick wall. I had to continually try, not give up trying, but keep on trying, right? So that's the kind of 
grammar that Paul's using here so that everyone understands. He's saying you need to keep on trying to please the Lord, and you'll find a way that is effective. Trust me, try it out, right? But the key here is try, action, do, not like show up and be like, hey, and then buy. That's not action or do. Right, so with Andrea, um, uh, these five love languages I learned later from Gary Chapman were like, Andrea, I just love the way you do the laundry. That's words of affirmation, and that, you know, she didn't really necessarily feel loved. And then there was like, Andrea, I love sitting with you while you fold the laundry, also really not feeling love. And then there was like, Andrea, I got new soap for our laundry, no love. Uh, and there's like a fifth love language that's physical touch, and I'll just let you guys uh, figure that one out. And then there's number uh, five, which is uh, Andrea. I did the laundry. And guess which one Andrea liked? I don't know. I forgot. (laughs) I had to, I had to find out by experience because I didn't have Gary Chapman's book, but golly gee, what if there was a book on how to love someone effectively, right? What if there was a book, I don't know, are you with me, George? What if there was a book that just told us how to live lives that were pleasing to God? What could we do? I don't know. It's almost like we could have teachers who study it and prepare lessons, and then we could like gather together. Are you, are you guys thinking what I'm thinking? We could have like a time when you study it together, you know, and then you could not have to like pound your face through a brick wall trying to figure out what is pleasing to the Lord, right? But you could go like straight to the answer with a group of people around you who are also trying to practice reflecting that light and love of Christ to a community that is actually desperately ignorant and they're blind. And the word says they're blinded, right? And you could become a light in their lives if only there were like a book and a way to figure out how to do this with a group of people that are like-minded somewhere, somehow, sometime, on a Sunday morning, Tuesday, or Wednesday night, or even on a Sunday night. If only there were like sign-up sheets in the foyer. So in his letter to the Ephesian church, churches, I'll get this right, it's going to be a couple weeks, but I'll get it right. Paul reminds God's people not to partner with the darkness, and he reminds them to continue to try, uh, keep on trying to discern and figure out what it is that pleases the Lord, like test what it is or discern what it is. Keep on trying to figure out what it is that pleases the Lord. And Paul says this because he knows that that same community has that same temple. It's still standing. Our doom scroll is still there every time we open that phone and wear out the joint on our thumb. I mean, I am I am guilty as ever, okay? I wish the battery usage was not primarily from Facebook on my phone, right? But it is. So yes, we need to shine a light there, but man, do we ever need to find a way to gather together in a way that is going to help us figure out how to do something that is pleasing to the Lord. And that is available to you, but only if you choose to make it a a priority in your life. I want to pray And then I want to offer you the opportunity to respond to the Lord directly, not to me. I don't need to hear you say anything. But if you have a decision to make, you can stay seated. And we have decision guides and counselors that will find you after our last song and video. Father God, we're so grateful for the opportunity that you give us to come together and to proclaim the goodness, to proclaim the goodness of you as Lord and Savior and King and conqueror. And Father, we're so grateful that we get to remember by his body and blood, Christ's victory over sin, over Satan, over death, that we get to 
remember, and as Kurt reminded us so powerfully last week, to proclaim that victory to our community, to one another, to angels, to demons, and Satan himself. And Father, to proclaim that to you, that you are victorious, that you are the king and you are the ruler, and that because of the power at work in your Holy Spirit in our lives, we now, by your power, not by our own trying, not by our own effort, not by our trying to keep our hands folded and not flick paper footballs at each other, and not by our capacity to maybe somehow figure out what you have to do, but by your word, by your lived example, by your now alive and at work in us, Holy Spirit, you give us not only the opportunity, but the power because of Jesus' finished work to become, as in Romans 12 says, transformed. And one more grammar moment, Lord, to be transformed. We're not doing the transforming. We're trusting you to do the transforming. But Father, I pray that we would find the opportunities as hard as they may be to find as we walk out in the lobby and search so hard for where we could possibly find a group of believers who open the word on a regular basis and try to live lives that are pleasing to you. Father, would you help us find a way to make that a priority in our lives? Would you help us by eliminating our super flimsy excuses. Father, I pray that you would clear our calendars for us because you can do that. When we don't have the power to clear our own calendar or the willingness, but Father, I pray right now that we would be asking you to lead us by your Holy Spirit alive and at work in each of us into truth. I pray these things in Jesus' most powerful name.